time enough at last. Submitted for your consideration to sci-fi fans, Sean Majors and Keith Conrad. Rewatch The Twilight Zone from beginning to end. It's like something out of that Twilighty show about that zone. There was a scientist on the radio this morning. He said that it'll get a lot hotter more each day now that we're moving so close to the sun. And that's why we're... That's why... The word that Mrs. Bronson is unable to put into the hot, still, sodden air is doomed. Because the people you've just seen have been handed a death sentence. One month ago, the Earth suddenly changed its elliptical orbit, and in doing so, began to follow a path which gradually, moment by moment, day by day, took it closer to the sun. And all of man's little devices to stir up the air are now no longer luxuries. They happen to be pitiful and panicky keys to survival. The time is five minutes to twelve, midnight. There is no more darkness. The place is New York City, and this is the eve of the end. Because even at midnight, it's high noon, the hottest day in history, and you're about to spend it in the Twilight Zone. Episode number 75 of the Twilight Zone was the Midnight Sun, and it's it's one of my favorites, but Sean, before we uh, we get into that episode... Um, I, I had sort of a disturbing realization about uh, the uh, It's a Good Life, which is the episode we did a couple weeks ago. Yeah. And uh, it's actually not about that. It's about the, the Simpsons parody of, course. of It's a Good Life, where um, th- th- there's a scene where uh, th- Bart is watching TV and Krusty the Clown is there and he looks, you know, like all disheveled and, and he says, you know, we've been on for 340 some some odd consecutive hours. Right. And it's all because one little boy who won't let me stop. <laughs> and, and I was and I was thinking about that and, and it suddenly hit me that in order for Krusty to realize that that like Bart controls the universe and he he has to do what Bart is telling him to do, like Bart had to make an example out of somebody. Oof. He he had to have actually like That's killed somebody point. or turned them into a into a, a jack in the box, which is what he does to his dad. He had to have done that. He had to have made an example of somebody uh, for for Krusty to realize, hey, I've got to do what this kid tells me to do. I mean, he's got to have like an easy target, right? Sideshow Bob's right there. Yeah, yeah. I mean, what? Although I think that in that scene, like when they're showing him, uh, Sideshow Mel is actually in there. Sideshow Mel, yeah, he, yeah. He's he's in that scene, <laughs> so it wasn't him. I mean, we don't see Bumblebee guy, so mm-hmm. maybe it was him. Uh, I'm pretty sure we don't see Kent Brockman. Forget um, if the sea captains. My, my go-to is always the sea captain. So. I forget well, if he's it, in that episode. And they kill Hans Molman about three or four times every season anyway. God. So I guess he, he probably would have been an, an easy one, but I'm not sure he would have been a very good example. That's the biggest crime really in the uh, Simpsons universe. Every time Hans Molman gets off. He, he does. It, it's like, I, I've always thought it was, it was like Kenny done right because <laughs> they, they do it and they do it a lot. They do it in, in gruesome and horrific ways, but they don't overdo it. What is like, it? It's just is, he pops up every once in a while and gets killed. What is Hans Molman's actual age again? Uh he's like twenty seven or something. Oh no no no! So so he's at a uh, I, I I think it's a uh, an Alcoholics Anonymous meeting and he says <laughs> uh, uh, drinking has ruined my life. I'm thirty one years old. 
But then I think on his driver's license, he actually just turned 100. So. Oh, man. Yeah. So happy birthday to Hans Mollman. Happy birthday, Hans. Yeah. I hope I, I would say I hope we all look that good when we hit 100, but I, I kind of don't want to look like Hans Mollman when I hit 100. I wish I looked that good when I hit 31 <laughs> seven years ago. So uh, the Midnight Sun is uh, it, it's one of my favorite episodes. Whenever it comes up on a, uh, on a on a marathon, I always you know look at the schedule, make sure that I, uh, yes. I I'm near a TV when that happens. It's not quite you know not quite to serve man territory or the monsters are doing Maple Street, but it, but it's it's up there. It's it's in the top ten. Yeah, for uh, this is it's it's definitely a top ten at the very worst for me. It's um, I think one of the very first ones that I actually <clears throat> watched when I like when I started watching Twilight Zone on my own accord. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I remember uh, Eye of the Beholder was a uh, was one of the first episodes I saw, and you know, my I had to watch it with my mom so I wouldn't be too scared. Um, but this was, I think one of the first ones that I watched and legitimately scared me, loved, loved the ending. And there's just, there's just so many good episodes in, in, in the twilight zone. So I don't know if I can call it a, uh, a Mount Rushmore, but it's, it's number five or six. If it's not Mount Rushmore for me, it's definitely in the honorable mentions for for the oh, yeah. uh, the Mount Rushmore uh, of of episodes, so we're following um, a woman. I don't know that she actually has a name in this. Um, I, I'm actually seeing if I can pull up the uh, the Wikipedia page here and see if uh, see if, if it looks uh, like we have a Norma. Uh, okay, yeah, that 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 makes sense. So so yeah, she has a first name, but but not which is which is actually kind of funny because I believe that. Um, the the other woman in the series, uh, Mrs. Bronson, who doesn't is, have a first uh, name. Yeah, she doesn't have a first name. So, <laughs> well, I'm, you know, Norma's sure an artist, so sometimes they go by you know just their first name. You got your princes, your Madonnas. You know, maybe that is it. Yeah, I mean, she she's definitely. Uh, I I always wondered if she's actually like a huge artist or if. The world's ending and she has nothing better to do. So she just started painting. <laughs> I'm finally um, going to go after my dream. Or, or, you know, I mean, I mean, she's, she's obviously showing some skill here. So I would assume that she, uh, you know, she it's probably true. didn't just start painting. But uh, but I'm thinking that, that maybe the world was ending. So she just like that's the reason her her apartment is full of paintings is, you know, she she just wanted to get the, get all that out of her system before uh, before everybody croaked. Um, also, uh, Lois Nettleton, the, the actor who played, uh, Norma, uh, always thought she was super beautiful. Oh yeah. Yeah. She was definitely, uh, yeah, that's definitely always something that I noticed as well. Um, uh, you know, I mean, she spends most of the, uh, most of the episode just being sweaty and and screaming about things, (laughs) but, but yeah, I, I, I definitely would agree with you on that one. Um, and uh, the, so, so now we have to uh, have to we have to actually look because she seems like she was probably a fairly young uh, actress at the time. Oh no, she died in two thousand eight. Yeah, unfortunately, but she you was know. she she was though from Oak Park, Illinois, which is literally I I could throw a rock uh, and and hit Oak Park, Illinois. Is Oak Park that close to? Uh, oh, I'm thinking Belleville. Never mind. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I, 
<laughs> Belleville is very close to St. Louis. Oak Park is close to Chicago. <laughs> yes, yes. Um, and and Forest, Forest Park, where which is where I live, is is right next to Oak Park. There you go. And and there's a uh, there's a massive conglomeration of Chicago suburbs that have uh, like park and something about trees in them. Interesting. They're just all all around each other. There's and every time I see. Every time I see Cook County, it uh, it reminds me of the Fugitive for some reason. So, I, I could definitely see that the the, the Fugitive um, Cook County Hospital uh, definitely leans into uh, into being in in Chicago. The the movie, <laughs> I'm not sure the series actually took place in Chicago, but the, but the movie definitely does. Yeah. Oh yeah. And uh, so Norma and Mrs. Bronson, who as as we've previously previously established does not have a first name uh they are the they are the last two in their apartment building because the other family uh decides to leave yes and uh you know th- this brings up a good question so if you're in the middle of the end of the world and like, er- everybody's gonna die anyway why would you go anywhere? So I wrote that down. I don't understand what leaving – because it doesn't seem like that family is leaving to go find a place that's cooler. You're not going to drive to the North Pole. But like I, I don't understand what leaving New York City – they say they're going to Syracuse and maybe maybe the lake effect snow – They do say they're going to they're, they they think the gas is going to get them to Syracuse, but they're That's trying right. to get to Toronto. That's right. That's so, right. So, and I think that this is a situation where like people don't understand that like ninety percent <laughs> of the people in Canada live within like fifty yeah. miles of the U.S. border. Like <laughs> yeah. most of Canada is not is not the most hospitable place. Although, if we're getting closer to the sun, I guess it would probably actually be kind of a nice place to be for for at least a day or two. I I guess so. Um, New York City to Toronto is 500 miles. Um, in in like relative to the size of the planet and the sun getting closer, uh, 500 miles is not gonna <laughs> change change too many degrees. No, I mean e- even the north, even being in the North Pole, I don't think it would it would change that much. Um, um, I mean, because first of all, there's no land at the North Pole. It's, uh, it's a big block of ice. So, I mean, eventually it's not going to be there anymore. So unless you have a boat, I mean, you're, you're, you're kind of out of luck there. I love, um, I love the prop work that Norma does with that glass of water in the beginning. She like pours it and drinks it and stares at it so dramatically and so lovingly. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah. I mean, if, um, you know, if if the Earth is slowly going into the sun, uh, you know, I would imagine water would be kind of a, a, a precious resource. Um, my favorite moment is uh, when they're actually listening to the radio. Oh my god! And, <laughs> and the the commentator he he just loses it. Like he's had enough. Yes. He's like forecast for tomorrow is hot. I mean, what do you want from me? You can you can fry an egg on the sidewalk, and he says something about like maniacs roaming the street or something. Yeah. Like that. And he says, "Oh, apparently management doesn't like me telling you this." 
<laughs> like you can uh, you can warm up your soup in the ocean or something like that. <laughs> yeah, I I I I love that guy. That that would totally be me. I I would I would volunteer volunteer to keep working, and that would totally be me. I would be on the air to the very end, just going, "Why, why are you people listening to this?" I mean, a commitment to snark, I believe, is unappreciated <laughs> in this world and in the Twilight Zone. Yes, it, it, uh, it that that to be I, as a matter of fact, like I don't know if I like saw a different version of that, but I don't remember actually seeing that before, like the uh, or or hearing the. Uh, the, the you know, that's weird that you mentioned that because I it seemed new to me, and this is the first time I'm watching it on Hulu now, and it just transferred over from Netflix. And I mean, I can't tell you how many times I've seen the episode, but I, I don't remember that particular part. So I don't know if it's a collective, uh, you know, f- forgetting of it between you and I, or if we just saw like a new version somehow at the same it, it, time. It's a Mandela effect. <laughs> it is the Berenstein Bears. <laughs> so uh, as, as things progress, um, you know, th- things things just take a turn for the worse. I mean, they, they get some groceries, which. Uh, Again, I, I don't know. I, like, I, I guess I can't criticize him too much because, I mean, yeah. So, so if you're in this situation, you know the Earth is only going to have like a matter of days. If you don't have enough groceries to get through a few days, what, what's wrong with you? What, what horrible decisions did you make in life? It's. It, I just thought it was funny because they they do kind of explain it, but I would imagine every grocery store would be picked picked clean or just mobbed with raiders. But why would it be? Because <laughs> if everybody's going to die in like two or three days, which I, I don't think they ever give a timetable of it, yeah. or, although they might. Um, like don't don't you have enough food to get through the next like two or three days? You would think so. No, you need exactly one paper bag with a I, – I forget if there's a baguette sticking out of the top or not, but in my mind there is and there forever will be. Yeah, nat- naturally. But uh, <laughs> like so, – so like I, I, I get if – like let's say that a meteorite was, was going to hit the earth, OK? Yeah. And – Odds are you're, you know, it's 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 supposed to wipe out uh, all of humanity. You'd want to be prepared. Like I like I, I get that. May, maybe you're not going to die. Maybe maybe you survive the 900 mile an hour surface winds and sure. And, and you and you actually uh, you know you figure out a way to to survive that. I can understand you'd want to you'd want to hoard some things. But if the Earth is going into the sun in two days, it seems like you just sort of. Hunker down with what you got. And, and, yeah, I mean, if I if I look at my pantry now, I I think uh, you know, well, I'd, I'd go over to my mom's house with the food that I have, and you know, we'd we'd, we'd be okay, I'm sure. Yeah, I I the uh, the the movie that just came out uh, was it? Uh, oh, it was probably about a year ago, actually, at this point. Uh, Greenland with uh, Gerard Butler, which is about a a meteor um about to uh, about to hit the earth uh, it might actually be a comment it's a big rock from space that, that's what <laughs> i need to know um i don't think i've heard of this movie and i like to think of myself as a jerry butler connoisseur <laughs> oh it's it's actually really good um Man. especially considered the fact that it's you know it, it's 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 revisiting the sort of you know deep impact armageddon yeah. you know uh, big rock from space genre uh, it's actually really good and, and has I, – I don't know that it's a unique take on it because, you know, it's, it's the same idea. Um, but it, it's actually really good, especially uh, especially 
all all things considered, they they did a really good job on that one. So if, so you should you should check that one out if you since, since you haven't seen it. Oh yeah, no, it's on my list now. Um, <clears throat> by the way, I uh, highly recommend if you're flipping through the channels and Deep Impact is on, oh, yeah. uh, you know, just just catch 20 minutes of it and you'll remember how how silly it is, how silly yeah. and really bad it is. <laughs> Although it's less silly and less bad than Armageddon. Like, yes, 100. percent I'd yeah. rather watch Day After Tomorrow uh, over all three of them, but um, yeah, which, Armageddon is probably the worst of the bunch. Which, by the way, while we're uh, getting sidetracked into end of the world <laughs> movies, so Roland Emmerich, you know, he he does you know Ugh. the big loud end of the world movies, yeah, and like he keeps upping the ante as far as how the world ends, and now he's decided the world is going to end by because the moon crashes into it. That's his next movie. <laughs> I haven't heard of that one either. That is awesome. So he he did Independence Day in 2012, right? He did he did uh, Independence Day 2012 and uh, the other Independence Day movies. Yeah, uh, yeah let's see yeah. what else. I, I know uh, in a you know uh, change of genre, he did uh, the Patriot, which is the worst movie about oh, really? the American Revolution in history. Oof. Oh, he did Godzilla, the awful Matthew Broderick Godzilla. Yeah, and he did uh, the day after tomorrow. So weird. Um. So so yeah, I mean that, that's that's just kind of his thing is he does you know really loud end of the world movies. Although although I will say I you know here I've been I've been giving him a lot of crap. Uh, his uh his Midway, which came out uh two years ago. That uh, that I didn't even re- remember until I saw it on. His oh, I didn't know he did that way. Uh, that was actually not bad. Like I, I felt like you had to have seen the original Midway movie from the seventies in order to really know what was going sure. on because they kind of glossed over a lot of stuff. But it actually wasn't bad. Um, uh, An often but, forgotten battle in in World War Two. Yeah, and it and it shouldn't be because it's got a, there's a there's an airport named after it in Chicago. Oh man! Oh yeah, that's right. Um, so yeah, Roland Emmerich's next movie is that the moon crashes into the Earth. So this is going to be awesome. And of course, it's called Moonfall. <laughs> of course, yeah. Well, at least it delivers what it promises. Oh God! I know we got to get back to this, but it also has a hundred and seventeen-year-old Donald Sutherland in it. Nice. Yeah, I, I would assume. Can, can we like? I, all I've seen is the trailer where they just have a bunch of like flashing scenes of it. You know, it's oh, like yeah. a, a teaser for it. Can we just assume that that one hundred and seventeen-year-old Donald Sutherland is the scientist who predicts it, but nobody believes him? It says here his name's Holden Field, so I'm going to say you're 100 percent correct. Yeah, I, I'm thinking that's that's clearly his role. It it shows up in every one of his uh, disaster uh, movies. Um, I, you know, there was probably an old guy playing a scientist in The Patriot predicting the American Revolution that the British wouldn't listen to. Don't listen. Uh, don't listen to that old kook, Holden Field. He's been crying Armageddon for 30 years. I bet that is an exact line in the movie. Yeah, I, ab- absolutely, 100. Um, percent That that is. Yeah, you heard it here first. That is the role that Donald Sutherland plays in the football. Um, by the way, if you haven't seen The Patriot, uh, the the general message i'm trying to get across is that movie is bad and you should see it. i kind of want to i kind of want to skim through it now oh you, you haven't seen it no uh no I, I i started staying away from mel gibson movies for the longest time oh well, you were definitely an early adapter because i think that was like 
2000. Yeah, so yeah, so it was you, 2000. Were, you were just, an early uh, adapter to uh, to avoiding Mel Gibson. But, uh, never been a huge fan, and the whole racism thing was just a cherry yeah, on top. <laughs> yeah, it, it's a uh, yeah, it's it, it's uh, not not a bad club to be in. The, the avoiding uh, Mel Gibson club. Uh, but anyway, back to the Twilight Zone. The purpose of this podcast. Uh, so they uh, so so we've established that Norma is woefully unprepared for a Wednesday, let alone the end of the world. Uh, so she has groceries that includes a can of fruit juice that uh, Mrs. Bronson is just fiending for. When she right. hears that there is fruit juice in that bag, she loses her mind. Well, she actually got three cans of fruit juice. So. Yes. And, and and it's basically like, uh, well, can we uh, drink one of them right now, right this second, and then <laughs> sure, ration the rest of them to get us through the uh, the end of uh, the end of planet Earth? The next seven hours. <laughs> um, but then uh, somebody else uh, basically breaks into their building, and uh, I, I think he. So so first of all, Mrs. Bronson uh, like drops one of them and. Um, you know, that's uh, so now they're down to two. Yeah. Then uh, someone comes in and, and basically steals all their stuff. For some reason, there's there's this one scene, this one or uh, this one like part of that scene where like, I don't know, just the way the, the intruder kind of like acts and just just the space work that, that the actors do in that in that scene. For some reason, it it, it was really like dreadful like it it filled me full of dread as a kid and like to, to this day whenever i see it it just kind of um you know sends sends a, a shiver down my spine just kind of seeing that because that's one of the it's one of those parts whenever the twilight zone scares you without you know supernatural or ethereal stuff mm-hmm. um and i guess that's what the show's about right just the <laughs> the the uh response of man to uh to fear and uh for yeah, some and, reason and- that Unlike the uh, the Earth, you know, flying off into the sun, which I suppose maybe could happen, um, you know, I, I, I assume it's not impossible. I'm I'm not an I'm not a, an astrophysicist, but I, I don't think it's very likely. Let Let's at least uh, say that uh, someone breaking into your building and stealing your stuff that absolutely could happen. So I sure. can see that being a little bit scarier. Oh yeah. And uh, so, so this is actually one one of the things that I definitely wanted to uh, to, to mention. Um, if you notice, like he's shirtless, but he's wearing like a like a, a, a coat. Yeah. And I always, I I, I actually was uh, was starting to think that maybe the clothing that everybody wears is kind of an indication that she's hallucinating. Oh, interesting. I because, didn't I didn't think about that. Cuz you got him, he's got like this bandana thing on and and a and a you know like really heavy, I guess sort of like wool coat. And um but he's otherwise shirtless, which um proves, proves she was definitely hallucinating and uh, Yeah, I need to go back and and look at that. Yeah, because he wouldn't be wearing that in reality. But then when you also think about the family that left at the beginning, like they're all dressed up. Yeah. And like, I know that it's so, so I guess the question is what, like, was that sort of supposed to be some sort of subliminal hint or is it just the fact that it's like 1961 and everybody dressed up to go everywhere, even if the earth was flying into the sun? I don't know. I I don't think that they would have put like the, the shirtless guy in there if it weren't on purpose. Um, But yeah, I mean, everybody did dress up (laughs) everywhere. (laughs) 
<laughs> I mean, um, I, I think the I think the ladies are both wearing sundresses, which is probably as close to uh, to to being prepared for. 120 yeah. degree temperatures as, yeah. as you get in, in 1961. I just, yeah. Um, man, that's fascinating. I never, I never even thought of that. I, I want I need to, I kind of want to go back and watch it again and see if there's anything else that could be, uh, could be chalked up to a hallucination. So eventually Mrs. Bronson just, just basically goes cuckoo pants and uh, she tries <laughs> to, that fruit juice. She, she tries to go swimming in a painting and, and it just get, just goes downhill from there. Yeah. And uh, eventually, it gets so hot that the uh, that the the paint on the on all the paintings starts to melt, and uh, the it uh, Norma just just sort of screams, and then uh, we flash to uh, a window with snow on it, and uh, so then Mrs. Bronson uh, she she sort of shoves some newspaper under it, and you know it, it, it's get, it's getting the uh, giving you the impression that things are cold, and then. Uh, Mrs. Bronson starts talking to somebody else who's there, who's a doctor, and um, turns out she's been uh, feverish for the past couple of days, and the Earth is actually flying away from the sun. Um, what a twist. And uh, even just because, like, we've been going through, you know, the first 18, 20 minutes of this episode, kind of feeling the heat, just mm-hmm. watching these characters, you know, languish and in, 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 the, in the heat and sweating and everything. Just seeing that snow feels refreshing. It does. And uh, basically, she's just she's just murmuring at that point. But then she eventually does uh, come come to and she says, oh, I had this 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 dream where, you know, the the earth was heading into the sun and there was nothing but daylight. And she's like, isn't that terrible? And um you know the the old woman, Miss Bronson, is basically like, "Oh yeah, that would be awful." <laughs> um, it it still gets to me this episode. Yeah, uh, yeah. So so basically, they're uh, they're doomed. Uh, so <laughs> it, it kind of sucks to be them. Uh, while we're on uh, end of the world movie recommendations, though, um, there was a uh, there was a movie that came out uh, early in the su- in the the spring or summer of this year called The Midnight Sky. Which was directed and starring one George Clooney. Uh, it was on Netflix, and uh, it's it's actually really good if you've ever seen uh, On the Beach, which was a uh, a nineteen fifties yeah. movie about nuclear war. It's actually very similar to that. Okay, and uh, definitely worth checking out. Watch that instead of The Patriot. <laughs> Um, yeah, if you, you put uh, Mel Gibson and, and uh, 180 minute runtime, uh, I'm, I'm staying away. The poles of fear, the extremes of how the earth might conceivably be doomed. Minor exercise in the care and feeding of a nightmare. Respectfully submitted by all the thermometer watchers in the Twilight Zone. Cabotron?